Well, hi there, and um, welcome to this, which is our first uh, free webinar in uh, a new uh, series of webinars that we're starting that's going to look at uh, smart city and specifically um, about uh, the innovation in smart city technology and how companies are bringing that to market uh, and also how cities are implementing it. Um, so to moderate uh, this uh, Webinar, I want to introduce uh, Owen Kell, our uh, lead researcher at Memory. Hi, Owen. Hello there. Thanks very much. Um, yeah, so as Jim mentioned, uh, I've worked with Memory for a couple of years now um, as the lead author on a few reports um, in areas including LEDs and smart lighting, um, the impact of big data and, and IoT on buildings and smart grids and the like. Um, over the past couple of years, um, I've also had the pleasure of working with our with our speakers today, um, who are from Plessy Semiconductors, um, and we work with a with them a little around market strategies and uh, local authority engagement. So it's my pleasure to introduce uh, both Michael Legoff, who's the CEO of of Plessy Semiconductors. Say hello, Michael. Hello, hello to everybody. Good afternoon. And Dr. Keith Strickland, who is the uh, Chief Technical Officer of uh, Plessy Semiconductors. So, uh, say hello, Keith. Hello, everybody, and good afternoon. So, we like these sessions to be as interactive as possible, uh, so we very much welcome questions from the floor. Um, I'll get things kicked off, but whether you have technical or strategic or any other kind of questions, we, we clearly have the right expertise um, around the room um, to to engage with your questions, so please feel free to submit anything anything you'd like to ask, and we'll we'll insert that into the conversation. Um, but I'll kick things off. So so guys, first, if if I could ask you to give us a, a bit of background about Plessy for people who might not have heard of them before, and for you to explain perhaps what what you see as your USP in the highly competitive global lighting market. Right, thank you, Owen. Um, so we will be, as far as smart cities go, starting from the very bottom of, at the component level of what could comprise the future of smart cities. This is a market area that we're keenly interested in seeing develop. Uh, we believe we have a certain amount of technology that provides advantages to the, the, um, the, to the system level, and we'll, we'll go through that. Um, we take a semiconductor approach to LEDs, and what that means is we we build our LEDs on a large diameter silicon substrate where we can process in our semi-automated semiconductor processing facility uh, based here in Plymouth in England. Um, we have innovation technology centers in Swindon and in Plymouth, and we have um, development agreements and pipeline arrangements with the University of Cambridge and a number of other uh, universities, you, primarily UK-based. We were the first on the planet to have commercially available um, LEDs produced on large diameter silicon substrates. And what we can do in silicon is integrate both electronic components and optical components. So what that means is in terms of a the end solution, especially if you think of all the applications in in smart cities, but in particular lighting applications, street lighting and interior lighting, then you start to look at um, smaller, lighter, 
uh, less expensive and more ubiquitous uh, solutions in the same way we find the uh, discrete um, electronic components being comprised into, into integrated circuits, we are doing the same thing with the with LEDs. Um, there's a slide here just showing where our locations are, primarily sales offices. The headquarters are here in Plymouth, uh, but we do have offices in the U.S. and um, support in Brazil, in the south, in Florianopolis, uh, in Delhi, Shenzhen, in Shanghai, and in Italy, in Milan. Um, Plessy uh, is, um, is, a, is, a, is a British brand. It's been around since 1917. Uh, we are a relaunch of that company, uh, really restarting in 2009. Uh, and since then, we've made about a hundred million U.S. dollar investment in the facility here in Plymouth on the, both the proof of the capability of growing gallium nitride on silicon and then producing um, high-quality, highly competitive, high-power, LEDs on that material and starting to look at the integration work of incorporating um, optical and electronic components to support things like uh, smart cities, smart homes, um, uh, and better improved uh, light fixtures in any number of applications. Great, thank you. So, um, Owen, you asked as part of your sort of initial open question um, what was our sort of competitive advantage? Uh, again, for, uh, forgiveness from the audience for the bit of a busy slide, but as Michael said, for us it really starts at the component level, and this was just to give a flavour um, uh, to those uh, on the webinar about the advantages that silicon can bring to the LED market. And I'm not going to go through all the details of this. Uh, this can be read at, at leisure. Uh, these, these slides are available, um, but they relate to things like the uh, heat spreading capabilities over that sapphire which dominates the LED market, um, the actual light emission itself from uh, the LEDs that we produce, uh, it has effectively a smaller on do which uh, can have advantages in certain lighting applications. We can scale our, our dye and maintain uh, our efficacies and, and we also can produce uh, LEDs that have uh, a better uniformity. Uh, the binning of LEDs is, is an issue for the whole of the business um, in terms of getting uh, identical LEDs into luminaire systems. Um, when you produce LEDs, you often have a spread of both wavelength power output um, and voltage drop across an LED, and usually uh, companies that manufacture uh, luminaires have to go to some trouble to uh, collating LEDs and what we call binning of these LEDs to produce the sort of products with uniform light output that they wish. And we have, uh, with our silicon wafers, we, we have quite a lot of evidence to show that we can improve the, the binning. So that's the, the sort of inherent uh, things related to silicon. Um, there's also, as many of you that may have read about gamma silicon, silicon itself is a, is a ubiquitous material in semiconductors, has been for over 60 years now. Uh, the substrates are extremely cheap, um, so it can have a cost play as well. But at the component level, it's not really what silicon does for you, uh, and it comes more onto what this webinar is really about, and that is the ability to do integration. So if you start building LEDs onto silicon, 
the idea is, is that you can do much better uh, levels of integration more at the system level. Uh, right. Again, another, big another busy slide, but it just sort of gives you a feel, and it's really the last slide that we have, just giving a feel for, for where Plessy is moving to uh, with our base level components, and that is really doing a level of integration, putting advanced packaging in place, looking at actually putting the optics uh, on chip level as well, and ultimately moving to monolithic solutions where you actually put some level of intellect on the actual LED itself, whether that's just switching different LEDs on the same monolithic design to switching and out LEDs that may have a different color temperature, for example, uh, and even moving to sort of display type technology of, of which um, Ganon Silicon would, would play really the critical, or in fact, the only role in that type of technology. Um, and we see that as being critical if lighting is to move just beyond being the light source and moving to something that is somewhat different and uh, uh, moves into smart lighting and ultimately the sort of smart city type approach where lighting that's forms the backbone of that. that. Okay, that's a great introduction. Thank you, guys. Can, can you explain a little bit about what makes GAN on site particularly more um, more applicable to that level of integration and, and that level of, uh, of adding smart to the lighting component? Or, or does it offer any particular advantages compared to more traditional techniques for, for semiconductor manufacture? Well, it, it, it's the fact that because you're on silicon substrate, uh, firstly, it lends itself, the silicon substrate itself lends itself to a lot of the manufacturing processes that are already around uh, and have been in the semiconductor world for, for some time. Um, secondly, uh, if you want to do a combination with um, uh, silicon components, you've got the same materials, uh, and so thermal considerations uh, are improved. Um, and also, you can actually integrate some components uh, and switching components actually into the LED material itself. So okay. when we produce an LED, when we produce an LED, the LED itself, the active part of an LED is actually in gallium nitride, but it's sitting on a silicon substrate, and there's nothing to stop that silicon substrate from actually containing other components. Now it's not necessarily going to contain a, an Intel processor, but it could easily contain some basic sensor components, um, and it could have some switching for switching in. Uh, LEDs that comprise that monolithic uh, device. So I don't know if that answers your question, Owen. Yes, yes, I think it does. Thank you. Um, okay, can, can we move on a little bit to Michael? You mentioned that you're you're very much at the beginning of the su supply chain. You're 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 producing the the semiconductors, which are which is which then go on to be used as components in a in a smart world. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about your strategies around supply chain engagement and licensing further up the value chain? Uh, what, what kind of strategies have you followed and, and what have been your experiences in engaging with the rest of the supply chain? Um, yeah, good and interesting question. The, um, the conversion from standard lighting where 
typical lighting manufacturers are designing a fixture around a light source. In this case, it's normally some kind of light of light bulb called lamps. And the light bulb can, it can be a tube, it can be a, um, a halogen, it can be a complex fluorescent, can be um, an HID uh, for and for high lumen output, so it's like um, high pressure sodium bulbs or metal halide. And then they shape um, some material, typically metal or some heat sinking material, around that light source and create a light fixture. And so the supply chain, in terms of how you then get um, an LED component into that, into those customers, is, and it's and it's a non-technical, besides potentially some controls, it's quite a non-technical, very mechanical, mechanically driven process. So moving traditional lighting into the solid state world is is difficult and continues to be difficult, and I believe that is causing a delay in adoption generally, uh, globally, for LEDs. I mean, it is happening, but probably at a much slower rate than we than, than I think a lot of companies like Memory have been forecasting. But the the innovators, the, the lighting companies who want to differentiate, um, are using LEDs now within the fixture rather than using an LED bulb um, to to create unique and high efficient high light output applications that are significantly better than the traditional fixtures and certainly much better than the traditional fixtures using it, even an LED bulb. So well, you may say, well, I get the same efficiency by using a bulb. You don't, in fact. So your right. your question is 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 complicated um, by the fact that we've got kind of um, you know 21st century technology and semiconductor industry that's used to multiple visions meeting an industry that to kind of a 120 year lifespan on an existing technology base. So it is um, it's uh, although LEDs have been around now for Coming up to ten years, um, the 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 industry still has a long way to go to to adopt to where your audience, the, you guys listening in the, on the webinar, on in terms of um, you know the IoT, for instance, and it's only yeah. the most progressive, the most progressive and uh, innovative early adopter type companies who are starting to see the potential of these um, of these opportunities within within the lighting industry. And, and how about the incumbent players? Because, as I'm sure most people are aware, there are various large lighting companies who've dominated the market around both home and commercial lighting for many years. Have you found them to have a rather protectionist attitude towards their markets and, and the innovations that are happening around solid-state lighting, or, or have they been receptive to new ideas, and are they investing in innovation, or, or, or are they trying to retain their established business models for as long as they can, or is it a mixture of the two? Well, I mean, I don't think it's any news. It's not news that GE has spun out its lighting division, including its um, some of the communication protocols and their IoT, into a business that 
does not is not is disassociated with the name GE. It's called, now called Current. Mm. Um, and Philips has publicly announced, and Franz Van Outen has the CEO has confirmed that recently over the weekend that both the the LED business, LumaLeds, has been for sale and continues to be for sale, as does their lighting division. So I think the two largest lighting companies, the most famous that survived, uh, you still got Osram from the turn of the century that's around trying to do something. They spun that out of Siemens and it's listed. So I think the incumbents um, don't know, and so they're selling those businesses to somebody that they believe does know, right? Um, and, but in the meantime, um, they are, they have been, they are, and they continue to be huge cash cows, generating yeah. great profits in a model where your light bulb is designed to burn out every thirty days. So that's a tough model to move away from. Where LEDs, the lifetime is expected to be, you know, thirty years. I'm exaggerating instead of thirty days. Certainly, yes. So, so there's still an element of watch this space as to what the real, real evolving markets um, turn into. Then, yeah, I think I think both in terms of the end markets and the end applications, how they manifest themselves, and in terms of who are the who is are the next generation lighting leaders in lighting. I think that yeah. is, as you suggest, Owen, oh, watch this space definitely. Yeah, great. Okay. Well, in terms of yourself, then, where, where are you seeing the traction? Then, what 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 have you established as as core target markets, and and how uh, and whether the markets of, of smart buildings and smart cities are really fitting into your evolving strategy for sales going forward? Then, yes. I mean, the smart cities and the just the IoT in general. Is a, is a key target market area for us. It is not a market that exists today. It's something that um, we're expecting to fly out. We, we, you know, we're, we get invited to various events and we're in discussions and in different groups. Keith probably got a better view on where we are and all of that, but that is um, where there is a lot of interest and a lot of interest in our base technology is being generated. Mm -hmm. I, I, I saw, I've seen mentioned in some literature, for example, the, the horticulture market. You've had some success in in licensing some of your technologies in a particular niche market. Is that correct? Well, the, yeah. So I mean, um, because of the advantages Keith went through them of the of Gannon silicon, it lent they lend themselves into high power applications. So both the thermal and the integration approach is generally more important in in applications where you need uh, directional and high power lights. So this would include things like street lighting, um, uh, retail uh, spots, any down lighting application, uh, high bays and industrial application, horticultural lighting, uh, and in human-centric lighting. So this is a circadian rhythm lighting where we have high control over wavelength coming off each wafer that we produce with LEDs. And every one of those market areas are areas where we've had success and are in design. For horticultural lighting, we've, there was no incumbent kind of lead in LEDs, and so we, we uh, have 
taken a license from another UK company called Phytolux to manufacture the complete system. So rather than at the component level, we are building the, the fixture for um, specifically for both greenhouses and for indoor farms where mm -hmm. either in greenhouses they want to extend the days in the wintertime so you can have British strawberries in February or for indoor farming where the converted sheds where you can now grow um, um, uh, you know all kinds of different produce um, in indoors I, with no lights just um, completely lit by LEDs or now in the US and in certain uh, European countries uh, and looking like Australia and Canada will follow in the medical marijuana markets so those are all high growth areas where our again our particular technology has advantages and so to I guess get a step because there's nobody really producing sensible fixtures in that market area we we will be producing the fixtures like the, the end application for those markets that's okay unlike it's unlikely to be that's unlikely to be repeated by us by Plasti in the general illumination, i.e., in the, in the general fixture market. Yeah, well, uh, that sort of ties into perhaps my next question, which is around, and we've touched on it slightly before, which is about not just lighting but the smart element of, of lighting, and whether you see that really taking off in any particular markets. We see a lot of talk. As you mentioned, we see a lot of conferences where people are talking about potential applications. So what I'm referring to really is, and, and, and we worked on this in the past, looking at things like street lighting, where the, where the cost-benefit of installing LED instead of more traditional technologies was starting to become increasingly well-established, and the sort of the tipping point around cost had been, had been proven in many cases. But there was an argument being made by, by lots of the innovators that, uh, that it was worth introducing a level of smart in there so that you could control lighting at, lighting at different times and depending on different environmental conditions and so on and so forth. So are you seeing an appetite for that around the mar in, in various markets for smart lighting control as well as using LED? And if so, which markets are showing the appetite? So I think in in the example you say about street lighting, there's definitely the appetite is is most certainly there, and I think the cost model is now largely proven. In more the consumer space, I think one of the issues here is really to the definition of what the consumer wants, and also the fact that you can already buy smart lights, but from different companies, they're not necessarily fully compatible with all the devices that you might want to use with such a light. So I think there's a, a clearly an issue in terms of the interoperability between devices and lighting uh, and compatibility. Uh, a consumer wants to be able to necessarily buy a, a, a bulb or a, a luminaire fixture from a number of uh, potential manufacturers but still wants to use their same smartphone to potentially communicate with all of them. And, and that's clearly not the case at the moment, which provides a lot of confusion in the market, and I think it, it does hinder adoption. So I think in the professional market and, and building controls, that it, we're, we're already seeing that now, um, that that's the case in the consumer market. Uh, that's going to lag somewhere behind until you have good standards in place and you resolve these compatibility issues. Yes, and this is a... 
an often cited challenge of the, of the wider IoT uh, development of a wider IoT um, universe, isn't it? That the, the standards aren't yet in place for the, for the kind of plug-and-play uh, interoperability that, that consumers are increasingly expecting. Um, are you engaged in any way in those in that standard development? Um, and, and if so, who are you engaging with? We're aware of the sort of standards of committees. We don't actually sit on the committees as a, a relatively small player, uh, but we are aware of that and uh, do keep abreast of what's uh, of what's being said regarding those uh, sort of standards. And and do you feel that the case around the smart has been proven? I've seen figures bandied about that you know LED might improve uh, the lighting efficiency by sixty percent. But adding smart on top could could create another twenty percent in efficiency. Is the evidence? Is the business case for investment in the smart technology there? Do you believe? I, I would suggest no, Owen. Not yet. And most what customer what is available today is our dimming applications. So you can save money by dimming the LEDs. That's where the figure comes from. When or turning them off when people aren't using them. Um, but you can do that with um, a light switch on the wall, um, you know. But again, I again that's not smart, um, and it's certainly not IoT. And I think that's part of the issue at the moment is that the smart in IoT in lighting has really not been well, um, you know, thought through and. So, you know, how else, I mean, you have power and you have light wherever people are in your house, let's say, as an example. So, you know, what else needs power and wants to know where people are? And you have things like the Amazon device, the Echo, um, that can, should be and could be integrated into a light bulb, as an example, in which case you then have communication devices or you have smoke alarms or you have video uh, security systems, you have um, uh, carbon monoxide detectors uh, associated with light, you have lights uh, using Li-Fi both for communication and for controls. So there's a number of different end applications other than the control of the light itself that um, you know where there you know where there's more thinking to be had. And um, and I think in buildings when you start going into cities, you know, so you have a a, a building that's got uh, four sides. You've got light throughout each floor. You've got parts of the offices on every floor that's closer to each of the windows. You know, generally the time of day. You know, generally how much sun is outside and how much cloud cover there is. And so all of this sensor technology about changing the lights throughout the building depending on where someone is sitting is um, is one aspect which again is sort of a dimming control and control of how much light is needed against the national um, natural rhythms of the body to need a certain color temperature of light, a certain type of light throughout the course of the day which is sort of this natural circadian rhythm and then for 24-7 working you know how do you still ensure that the that the hormonal effects by having um, daylight, effectively daylight uh, at nighttime when the body doesn't expect it. 
So right. there's some really interesting science and um, uh, and ideas that are kicking around, and probably the guys on the webinar know more about these things than we do. We are, in effect, the enablers of that technology. So we're very keenly following, you know, what is of interest and what's going on, other than just plain old dimming and um, you know having that on the, uh, an app on your phone, which we don't think is certainly not intelligent. Maybe a bit clever, maybe not yeah. even smart, but it's something. Um, and but we do have, we do believe we have the way to enable those technologies to come to fruition in a in a cost-effective way using semiconductor manufacturing techniques integrated with the LEDs. Right. So you're kind of asking the tale about how the dog is wagging, um, yes. but but I'm uh, but well, I, I can tell you certainly what we're hearing, and there are some very very exciting ideas out there. It's just what is of interest to the consumer, and then what will be regulated by by the government. And what will be demanded by employees because they want to work in a in a healthy, safe environment, and lighting can be part of that. So, so it's fair to say that lots of the technology now exists to to um, to enable new new innovations and new ways of new ways of working. But um, either the market awareness of the of the potential and or the marketing of coherent solutions that the market actually wants it is still perhaps lagging behind what, what the technical potential is. Yeah, like I said, we've had 120 years of the light bulb. Um, yeah. This is not going to be as simple as getting rid of the, when we transitioned out of CRT into flat screens. Um, yes. Though you know, in every every other technology from over 100 years ago has disappeared. Uh, you know, the telephone, the computing, the uh, television, uh, everything is everything has transitioned except for lighting. And, um, and but it is happening. We're in the middle of it, and it and we believe it can be and will be part of this other thing we're talking about, which is generally how do you. How do you improve uh, communications, uh, security, uh, transportation, um, all it, with, within a city? Um, because yes. if 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 lights are everywhere people are, then why can't uh, street lights tell people where there's parking? So if Indeed. twenty percent or forty percent, I've heard of up to forty percent of traffic issues in an urban area are caused by people looking for parking spots. Lighting can be part of that. Okay, great. As an example. Um, I'd like to take this opportunity again to, to reiterate if you do have any questions from the floor that you'd uh, like like to pose to either Michael Legoff or, or Dr. Keith Strickland who we've got on the line, please please feel free to submit them and I'll address them to our speakers. Um, if I could move on to the next question though um, and talk a little bit around investment um, and investment strategies. Um, so. In the UK, we've seen a decline in manufacturing. Um, some some areas of strength around high-tech manufacturing, of, you, of which uh, you're a particularly shining example. Could you talk us through a little bit about your experiences around gaining investment in in what is a high-capital cost um, industry, um, and and what have been what have been your experiences and learnings from that? Um. All right. Uh, we've only got half an hour left, so 
Um, so yeah, we um, <coughs> there is plenty of capital available. <coughs> excuse me. Um, in in the UK, in the UK, in Europe, and even in the US, both for um, um, technology development and for manufacturing, um, it has to be obviously a coherent, sensible plan. Uh, and why uh, answering critically the question about why you can be competitive against the the Far East, in particular manufacturing in China. Yes. Um, there is there is more recently in the past I guess um, couple of three years three maybe even up to five years a process by which manufacturing has come back onshore called onshoring and that's even all the way down to plastic uh, plastic molded uh, parts PCB manufacturing uh, there's been several examples of companies who have brought back manufacturing after they've had experience of moving production to primarily China but also into Thailand and Malaysia. Um, because of the GAN on silicon technology that we have, that there's a lot of IP involved, a lot of know-how, and it, um, it's not driven by uh, people costs. It's not a, it's not a human resource intensive processing cost. It's mostly, you know, it's raw materials, um, and uh, and gas and electrics, um, both of which the in the Far East they get heavily subsidized to the point of even being free, um, but you can still be very competitive. The other thing in in our particular case is that the areas where we compete in in high power LEDs are competitors of uh, the Americans with Korean LumaLEDs, the Japanese with Nichia, and the Germans with Osram. There's no Chinese manufacturer, or Taiwanese manufacturer even, who uh, who can compete uh, with with their with their base technology because of the the IP and the know-how required in in these particular with these particular parts in these particular markets. As it happens, it also is where most of the value is um, in terms of where the LED. Uh, where it sits in in that particular market, there's a lot of value in the product you can provide. It's not where the biggest volume is. Biggest volume is still in backlighting, and in what they call mid-power LEDs, which go into the into your lamps, your LED bulbs. Um, but that market is, as you would expect, decimated by the Chinese and 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 dominated by them and and the Koreans. Samsung has its own developments in this area, and um, and so they've they've probably invested about a billion U.S. dollars or so. We've heard and heard in the news. I think it's again public information. Um, so for investing here, and I've had investments of around a little over 100 million U.S. dollars into Plymouth. Um, you know the case and the business case and the size of the market and the fact that the IP is critical to the growth of the business. It um, it wasn't. I mean, it's uh, it's the process, but there is there is generally I can I can tell anybody on the call that generally there there are, you know, investors are looking for these kinds of opportunities. There is definitely billions and billions of pounds available in the city of London looking for investment. 
especially with mm -hmm. the very extremely low interest rates and there's just not a lot of opportunities. Stock markets being buoyed by um, you know foreign um, uh, sovereign sorry sovereign um, um, funding by you know from their quantitative easing programs. A lot of froth in both the U.S. and European markets, and um, therefore safe long-term um, investments. Great. Okay. Very interesting. Um, it kind of ties into another question I've got actually, which is which is around uh, skills and and expertise. It, it's semi. It's worth saying that semiconductor manufacturing is somewhat of a, a niche and specialized industry. You're tucked down in the in the southwest of England. Have you found it hard uh, to gain employee employees with the right sets of skills? What, where's the market lacking, um, and is, and is that uh, holding you back in any way? Um, I don't think it's particularly holding us back. Uh, in the UK, we do produce still good engineers. Whether we produce enough of them is debatable. Um, in terms of experience, though, you've got only very limited experience in uh, certainly in the UK and really across Europe uh, in some of the more niche areas. Uh, and we have had to cast the net sort of worldwide to bring people in. Um, but we have managed to do that. When you do do that from bringing people in either from the States or the Far East, what you actually find is that our little view of the world in the UK, uh, where we're sort of centred around the sort of southeast or London, uh, and think that Plymouth's quite far, then most people that come from abroad don't actually think that at all. <laughs> so uh, from people coming in abroad, then Plymouth isn't really an issue uh, for us in the UK. Yes, for UK people, it sometimes is. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, but it, so if, we, we also, I was just going to say we do we do also generally manage to find a reasonably good set of graduates that we try and bring in uh, and fresh blood from universities uh, across the UK. Um, so that, that tend, tends not to to be a problem if you can offer exciting and innovative careers to engineers and scientists, then then that's not really an issue. Okay, great. So, so if people are looking to become more involved in the semiconductor market, what is it? Is it the engineering degrees that they should be looking at, um, or particular science degrees? Yeah, as a physicist, I tend to be slightly biased, but um, yeah, I think I think good a good engineering degree, physics degrees, uh, chemistry degrees, uh, as well, uh, process engineering tends to be the the areas. Uh, that we would look for. Obviously, specific uh, things related to things like optics um, is is a, a good good skills to have. But you'll get these generally from uh, uh, from good engineering and physics degrees anyway. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, we see uh, a number of uh, sort of innovations on the on the horizon or around smart lighting. Uh, things like I think you mentioned earlier, Michael, around Li-Fi. Um, what, what, what do you see as, as the big innovations coming forward for the next 10, 20 years? And, and, and is Li-Fi and using lighting for communications uh, a viable market prospect going forward? 
My, my, this is Keith. My view of that is it is. It is. Uh, we are working with a number of universities in the UK uh, on on Li-Fi. Um, lighting forms the uh, um, an electronic network and background in nearly every building and every town and city. And so when you have that sort of infrastructure, and if you're putting a component into lighting that is manageable, as in terms of you can uh, switch it like a diode without having an effect, uh, certainly a human effect in terms of the lighting that's offered, uh, then using that for communications is to me a very obvious step and I think that's been largely proven that it's capable uh, of doing that. Um, again, it comes down to protocols and the like as to how you would actually implement that on a large scale in a building uh, or indeed in a city. But I think that's something that will definitely come. Um, my personal opinion as well is also that I think um, display technology will also be part of a revolution that includes LEDs in the not too distant future as well um, because of the limitations of the brightness of OLED type displays and backlighting displays. Um, you know, how many of you can go outside with your tablets and smartphones on a nice sunny day and actually see the screen? Um, so what's the barrier there at the moment then? Because we've seen OLED really take over the market um, and, and make big strides in terms of TVs. Is, is it a cost challenge around that? It, it's a cost and a technical implementation for using LED technology in displays. You have to get the resolution down, um, but once you get the resolution down, then they will blow OLEDs out of the water because the OLEDs just don't have the power density uh, that would be required really to produce um, light, for example, in ambient light outside such that you could easily read your screen in high daylight. Mm -hmm. and, and are there any particular smart city applications going forward that come to mind for you guys as being, as being perfect for, for, for LEDs? Well, you could, you think about automobiles and traffic uh, uh, communicating with each other within sight lines, um, uh, using lights. You have then, of course, all the traffic signals. You've got uh, street lighting, for as I gave the example of the parking, which is a program that was introduced by GE into San Diego as a trial site. Um, mm -hmm. So it's really... It it's really, in lots of those cases, it's really about um, better integration between different kinds of technologies uh, for specific applications, would you say? Yeah, I think, I think communications between technologies as well. Because mm. mm -hmm. I've, oh, I've also seen, sorry, carry on. No, I was just going to say, you, you, you mentioned a smart city, but a smart city is not really well defined. It's something that's going to evolve. Um, and there are various concepts about what a smart city is going to involve, but it clearly would have to involve communications uh, with the citizens of that of that city. That that's what it's, it it really is going to uh, involve. You th think about your your own home, the, the way that you interact with technology today. The, one of the revolutions with with you in your home 
in terms of your smart home and your PC is things like your shopping. Mo most of us now do an enormous amount of shopping online and uh, you know have boxes delivered. Um, my, my house looks like an Amazon delivery center at Christmas <laughs> and you know, that's that sort of revolutionized the way that you interact with businesses, the way that businesses interact with you in the home. Well that that is gonna that is gonna be replicated in terms of a city, the services that a city, the public uh, services that are offered to you as a citizen of a city has got to be revolutionized in a similar way. And that's how, that's one of the aspects of the way I see a smart city evolving in the future. Okay. Um, how about cities themselves and, and engaging with those cities? Uh, I know we've worked with you on the past um, about about local authority engagement and engaging with the with the city of Plymouth and and the universities and so on. Is, has that been important to you in in evolving your strategies and understanding what what uh, the requirements are at a city level? Is that something you've engaged with? Uh, other than the work that we did early on, Owen, and which was of interest, and really the work that we did together with Intel on the Smart Cities program, which is kind of their view of how to sell a city, you know, $10 billion worth of, um, of uh, supercomputing infrastructure. <laughs> no, because it's, um, it's just not available. We are involved in a couple of programs through uh, Lady Barbara Judge, um, Healthy Cities, and um, She's got us involved, and I can't remember the name of it. But again, it's you know it's uh, it's part of uh, you know the you know it's part of the urbanization um, uh, agenda, where you know there's just everybody is going to be living in a city by a certain period, and this you know how do we accommodate everybody? So uh, you know there as part of that we. You know, we have technology that's suitable, but we certainly don't have systems, and we're certainly not a developer of systems. Um, mm. We are we are an enabler of technology, and so um, how how all that how all that gets implemented is very difficult for us to follow because we're you know, we're way down at the component level, where the you know, city of London is at talking. Uh, you know, just at different stages. So we do we do attend and we do are involved, but there's not really much of a contribution we can make or are interested in making at this stage. I think at this stage, all we're trying to do is trying to find end markets where where they have a need for innovative um, end solutions, and we can help them provide those. Um. Myself, I've continued to, to, to work with various cities and local authorities and one of the challenges that has been posed often is that there's, there's a lack of knowledge or awareness at the city administration level about what technologies are available to meet their evolving challenges around climate change, around energy usage, around around people movement, around healthcare, all of these different challenges. There isn't there isn't necessarily the education programs or the communicate or the intracity communications going on about what is the art of the possible 
um, and, and what technologies might be useful for for implementing new, new programs. Uh, do, do, is that something you'd agree with? Do, do the clients out there really understand what's possible? Uh, or do they care? Yeah, uh, is, it, is it on their agenda? Well, engaging with cities, you know, these challenges are on their agendas. Often, often facing uh, budget constraints, um, they're they're facing energy targets, and so on and so forth. But it's about getting on their agenda as a potential solution provider, and the awareness and knowledge of who can they trust to implement that project, what kind of technologies would be the most effective and efficient for, for meeting their challenges and so on and so forth. Um, and often these, these technologies exist, but either they might be in their infancy, so they're not necessarily proven, and the levels of trust in, in city authorities might not be there to, to, to make that leap, and or they just don't know where to go to to find trustworthy information about who's a reliable supplier, uh, to find case study information about where example projects have been implemented, and so on and so forth. Oh, any thoughts? It's just the nature of the fact that this is a, a very early stages for this type of uh, technology adoption in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, you know, no, we don't know anybody who's been elected on, you know, we're going to make uh, Plymouth a smarter city. Right. Uh, if you know what I mean, as an example, we just so, can't, you know, it's, it's, um, smart doesn't sell, especially if it's, if, if it's at the expense of, of safety or healthcare or, or so on and so forth, other investments. It needs to, it needs to contribute yeah. to that. Uh, it needs to contribute to those core challenges. Okay, guys. Um, well, unless there are any other questions from the floor at this stage, or if you guys have got any further comment you'd like to make, um, I'll look towards winding up. Do you have anything, any comments to make? Um, not from ourselves, Owen, at this point. Thanks, Owen. Thank okay, you. Well, I guess thank you very much. Thank you very much for the opportunity to um, to I guess discuss and present what we're doing at Plessy. You're very welcome. Um, I hope our audience have found that insightful. Um, Jim, if I might uh, hand back to you to just wind up the presentation. Okay, I'm not sure Jim can hear us. So I'd like to thank everyone. Attending, uh, please join us for our forthcoming webinars. Sorry, some technical issues there. Thanks very much for joining us, and I hope you can join us again uh, for further um, presentations as part of our Smart Cities series. Goodbye.